You're listening to the Personal Profitability Podcast, where you'll learn how to earn income, live better, and put your money to work for you. Here's your guide on your path to personal profitability, Eric Rosenberg. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome back to the Personal Profitability Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Eric Rosenberg, and today I'm excited to have on... Recently, we've had a couple of guests from my mastermind group, and I realized, you know, there's such a wealth of knowledge with with these guys, which I think I'd mentioned in the past, they're all dad online entrepreneurs. That's what, what brought us together. And today with us, we have my buddy, Nate Bills, Nathan Bills. You want to say hi to everybody, Nate? Hey, everybody. I think that's the best introduction I've had in a long time. So I'm honored to be here. And uh, yeah, I've gotten to know Eric well over the last uh, year or so and looking forward to talking to him, talking about things today. So when you're like, out doing your online business stuff, are you ever like pay the bills? Because that's your last name. Uh, You know, I always kind of struggle with like, how do I explain to people what my last name is? If they say what I didn't, you know, I didn't quite hear you. But yeah, now it's gotten to be, you know, yeah, my name is Nathan Bills, the kind of bills you pay. Uh, <laughs> you know, it sounds kind of ridiculous, but whatever. You make it rain money because you are the bills. You're like $100 yeah. bills. Yeah, exactly. I've got, I've, yeah, I've got to send the bills to people. So or Fabi. Whatever. One of the two. Mm-hmm. I'm trying, you know, kind of trying to get away from that. <laughs> so, so there's a little inside <laughs> joke to everyone there. That's an old nickname um, that, that Nate, Nate does not love anymore that we uh, riff on him every once in a while in the group. <laughs> um, but the fun story, one time I was flying on Southwest, I think I was flying home to Portland or out of Portland, and Fabio would, got on the plane that I was on. Like, we were in the B boarding group, he was in the C boarding group, so just because you're Fabio he, doesn't mean you fly first class. Yeah, I was going to say, he wasn't in the A group, huh? No, he, he didn't, he didn't he pay didn't, the extra $15. To, he didn't, uh, he didn't have first. his own plane. Okay. <laughs> well, I guess getting on the cover of romance novels in the 80s does not equate to lifetime wealth (laughs) i don't know i don't know i mean it depends on how you on how you manage your money right 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 so speaking of money what brought us together today and why nate is here joining us is the nate we met as i said we're all dad online entrepreneurs that connected in the mastermind group and each of us has done something a little bit different you know we had paul on who runs his uh his online marketing business out of an rv that he lives in with his family in mexico uh, we just had Adam on who went into the green green exercise equipment industry, which is very niche and unique. And Nate, he does something that a lot of you have probably come across without realizing. He runs an FBA business. That FBA stands for Fulfillment by Amazon. So what that means is Nate has created a product. He sources it from a factory, I think in China. We'll talk more about that. I'll ask some questions brings them over to the US, gets them packaged the way he wants, sends them to an Amazon warehouse. So if you buy his product, you know, he'll you'll get that, you know, 2-day prime shipping or or whatever shipping you you have if you don't have prime. Like I feel like prime is like the new Costco. Like I don't have Costco membership, but I have a prime membership. <laughs> but so so Nate, how did you, you know, find this world and get into that? You know, so Eric, I have tried a lot of things over the years. I've had you know, a number of different websites that made a little bit of money, but not much, and then got Google slapped. And my wife and I ran an education consultancy for a while. And, you know, there's been kind of various other startups and things in there that never really worked. And I 
over the years have just kind of learned a lot about business. And one of the things that I did was listen to a lot of podcasts. And, you know, I came across several at the same time. One was uh, the Freedom Fast Lane with Ryan Moran. Another was Scott Volker's Amazing Seller podcast. And there have been various other ones. But, you know, they talk a lot about the Amazon FBA business. And when I heard about it, you know, it just kind of clicked. I went, this, you know, this makes sense. There are obstacles, but none of them seem insurmountable. It's a little bit more tangible. There's something I can put my hands on. I felt like there was enough data that I was able to look at that I felt like I wasn't totally shooting blind. I could make some informed decisions about what I was spending my money on. Um, it seems like so many of the businesses these days that are kind of internet-based, um, you know, it's not so much a gamble with your money, but it is a gamble with your time. You know, like you can mm -hmm. spend years building a website that never makes any money. Um, and at the end of the day, you know, the most important resource that we have is not our money, it's our time. So I felt like I was willing to invest some money to see if I could make something happen. And what's nice about Amazon businesses is that it's a perfect ground for quickly testing products. And within, you know, once you've done your product research and ordered something from China or from, a, you know, a stateside factory or anywhere else in the world, once it's in the Amazon warehouse, you can have a pretty good understanding of how this is, how this product is going to sell within 30 or 60 days. And at that point, you can either decide to reorder or you can kill it and move on to your next product. So, you know, it's one of these kind of fail fast ideas. Um, and it's, just, you know, it's, you know, it's just a great way to, 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 to test a lot of different things and see what works. And so if we back up a little bit, you see, you were listening to these podcasts, you were getting ready to go. What was your job at the time? Were you and you weren't just sitting there, you know, dicking around on the internet all day, unless you had an employer who, who was paying you to do that. Uh, you, you were busy with another job. Like most of us started as a side hustle. So what did it, what were you doing? Yeah, so, what did your so, days so, look like then? Okay. So, um, for many years, I worked a rotational, uh, position in the Alaskan oil field where I was up at the very, very, very tippy top of Alaska in what's called the North Slope. Like by Dutch Harbor? That, that, part of the world no 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 dutch harbor is way southern alaska so prudhoe bay is prudhoe northern bay, alaska that's what I was thinking of, prudhoe bay. um yeah so i worked up there you know i'd work a 28 day on 28 day off rotation so i basically had six months a year off um it was a fantastic kind of lifestyle position you know it paid well it was nice to have six months a year off and when i was at work i kind of tended to have time to do some other things that I wanted to do, like work on my side hustle and do some product research and stuff like that. So at that point, I kind of stumbled on to the FBA and I spent quite a long time just getting immersed in product research and looking at dozens and dozens and dozens of different products and tracking things on spreadsheets and just kind of getting a feel for how this business worked. And kind of went from there so it started as a side hustle on those off weeks and hours up in alaska i'm guessing it was really dark or really light <laughs> yeah you know so so i guess i actually let's see i launched my first product in august of 2000 
15th. Mm-hmm. And so not that um, long ago. So, no, not really that long ago. So, 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 you know, so what I did as I spent the kind of end of winter doing product research up there. Um, so, you know, I spent a good six to eight weeks just digging through products. Um, and one thing I found is that in the process of tracking, tracking a number of different products and kind of doing it manually, I got a good feel for just kind of like what sells, what doesn't, um, what's realistic, what is too competitive for me to really want to try to get traction in and what is not so competitive that it draws a lot of attention to your product. You know, ideally you want to find something that sells, but not sells too well. You know, if you go into a niche that sells too well, then it attracts a lot of copycat competition immediately. And in the time, you know, between the time that you order your product from, you know, your manufacturer and have it sent to you, the entire selling landscape can change. You know, there can be two dozen other sellers on there selling virtually an identical product. But if you've, if, you know, if you've honed in on something that you feel like has good revenue and good margins, but is not overly competitive, then that landscape may not change much at all. So and, what, you know, that, what tools and, and things do you use when you're getting started with something like that? I mean, do you go to, you know, you can't go to, perfectamazonproduct.com and, and just have it tell you. you. You obviously spent a lot of time sifting through data and product ideas to find this. What was what did that so, process look like in the beginning? So so my my uh, product research has kind of changed a lot over the years, but it has, you know, really what it has done is evolved. And I, so when I started, there was not a tremendous amount of software that would help you actually do product research. But what Amazon gives you is they give what's called their bestseller rank, which is just a ranking of how certain products sell in comparison to each other within their given, uh, within their given uh, category, you know, like uh, kitchen or, you know, industrial scientific, you know, Amazon's got 23 or 26 different categories. I forget which, but that changes all the time. So, um, what you can kind of look at is there are a lot of different services or there were in the past and there still are that they'll give you kind of an estimation of how much product is selling based on a certain bestseller rank. Um, and so what I did was kind of started building a spreadsheet in Excel. And I think that this is a really important part. I've seen a lot of people kind of kind of leave this out is that um, you you know, I built a spreadsheet and my spreadsheet consisted of what's the product and a list of questions that I would ask myself that are just kind of filters, right? And so the filters would be things that I could answer yes or no to, you know, is the product something I like? Yes or no. Um, does the product sell a certain amount? Yes or no. Is the product, um, something that is over $20, you know? But so when I started out, I had about 10 of these filters. And if I could answer yes or no, at the end, I would tally up these yes or no's. And if it had a certain score, then I know it was a good product. Okay. So I have since added, I think 16 more filters. So I have a total of 26. Um, but when, Whenever I look at a product, I will run, um, you know, I'll kind of run this analysis on 
on the product and see whether or not it's a good product. And this helps me take emotion out of a buying decision. It helps me look at a product that I might think is stupid, but hey, you know what? Like it's selling, it passes all these criteria, it makes a great margin. It can pay the bills. Yeah, it can pay the bills. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) So um so when you're looking at all this, you know, all this data, um there's so much to wrap your head around. Um, did you create these filters through your own methodology or did you start from some toolkit? You know, it was, it was, it was pieced together from probably lots of different information. Uh, the one tool that I do really rely heavily on is the jungle scout Chrome extension, um, which, you know, basically you can, pull up an Amazon search results page and you can push a button in your Chrome browser and it will instantly tell you uh, what the price of every product on there is, how many they've sold in the last month, what their revenue is, and it gives you some other details as well. But it gives you a very clear and fairly accurate um, estimation of what's selling. And that, I mean, that tool right there, you know, like it came out around the time that I was doing my research and it really helped kind of crystallize this process. So, I mean, I can't, you know, I can't, I can't say enough how valuable just that level of data is to be able to make good, good informed decisions. Yeah, definitely. So you, uh, how many products have you attempted to launch so far at this point? So at this point, I have eight products that are currently selling. Um, I launched one with a partner that was in an overly competitive market and it, it sold through. It sold slow. It was kind of a learning process and it was something that we decided that we didn't want to continue with. But so so. what do you have one product or a few products that are by far the biggest? Like, I hit the jackpot with these or is it really spread out among all the different products? So right now, all of my products are fairly closely related. And I would say one of the products does about 80% of the revenue. It's also the oldest product I have. So what I'm kind of expecting is as some of these other products mature, I think that they will probably start to kind of cannibalize some of that revenue as well. And, it'll be a little bit more spread out. At least that's what I'm hoping. Um, and before we, uh, before we started recording real quick, something I found very interesting, we were talking about, you know, I, I always ask the guests before we start recording, is there anything that you don't want to talk about that I might know about you? Um, you know, I, I was actually just, you know, not too long ago with uh, Nate and his family hanging out in Austin. So, so we've you know been together with our families in person. And the one thing he brought up, he said, I don't really want to talk about what my exact products are could you share with everyone why you wouldn't want to share that on to an audience that might you know be people who could buy it why why is that uh something you want to keep close to the chest you know um i really i don't necessarily know how important it is that amazon sellers not kind of out their products but in the different facebook groups and in a lot of the other podcasts it's kind of become habitual that 
sellers do not necessarily out their products. And the reason behind that is that it can put kind of a target on specific products. Or if I tell you that I am selling X product and it's selling fantastic, then there is some fear on my part that somebody else might go try to replicate my success with my exact same product. Yeah. So part so, of part of why that you know struck such a chord with me is we um, another member of our, our mastermind group um, is also selling an FBA product. He actually learned a ton from Nate about how he should approach this and do this. And um, he has a product. It was selling really well. And one day he got an email from Amazon saying someone reported that his product was a ripoff of someone else's product uh, and they couldn't sell it anymore. And it was like a, a huge to do. And he um, had to prove like, here's the plans. Here's my emails with the factory in China getting it made to my specifications. Like, here's the proof that it's unique. And even with all of that and the invoices and all the data showing like I made this product. Um, just because someone who might have been selling some, we don't really know who reported it or why why he got dinged. Um, but my best guess is someone who was selling something similar probably reported it. And um, you know, Amazon's a giant company, and they try to do a good job. But that doesn't mean they have time to vet every um, complaint or report. And they just trusted that one and said, uh, "You're not for sale anymore." And that cost him you know, thousands of dollars in sales. Uh, so do you do you have worries? Um, living on a platform like Amazon, that something like that could happen to you? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, in I think in, you know, in any business, you look for that single point of failure and, um, you know, you look to try to diversify and you look to try to manage that potential single point of failure. And sometimes it's a lot more there. Okay. Let me rephrase. Sometimes there is a much higher likelihood that that single point of failure can actually come to fruition. Um, and in Amazon, there is a very high likelihood that Amazon could shut your account down or that something could happen to your listing. Um, so, you know, it is one of these kind of ever present worries in the back of my head and something that I am trying to work through and diversify and expand into other sales channels and, um, you know, do other things as well and launch other products that are unrelated. Um, so yeah. And watching that happen to the friend of ours, like that was, you know, it was pretty chilling and it was a wake up call. I've seen a lot of that type of thing happen on Facebook groups, but to see it happen to somebody that I'm close with and I know, and that I've kind of coached through some of these decisions, like, you know, I felt partially responsible for that. So it's a tough deal. And I certainly hope it doesn't ever happen to me, but if it Knock does, on what, you know, it doesn't happen to anyone that we know or yeah. anyone listening, but it's, it's, yeah. it's a risk. Like I, you when know, my freelancing business, um, I was just writing an article for a client about uh, concentration risk. That's something that you can't get through business school without learning about. <laughs> so what con revenue concentration risk means for any big company, if a high percentage of your revenue comes from any one source, it's that's a risk because you never know if that one source might turn off. So if 80% of my revenue as a writer came from one client and they walked away, I'd only have 20% of my revenue. Um, yeah. With our friend we're talking about, 100% of his revenue was one product. So when they turned that off, he was totally shut off. He was stuck with a, a shed full of product. 
Um, so, yeah. uh, so just something to always be you know aware of when, you, when you're working in any business. I think that's um, you know it sounds like particularly important when you're at the mercy of Amazon, where you can't even really call and reach a live person. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so, so switching gears a little bit, kind of going back into the how you get your products going process. So you go through all that research, you you decide you found your right product, you're sold. You say this is it. Let's say um, our product is is widgets, um, just for economics 101 humor. So so you're selling widgets. Um, you decide this is my widget, and I want to get it made and try to sell it. How do you get your widget made? Where do you source your products from? So the most common sourcing uh, kind of clearinghouse is Alibaba.com, which is really nothing more than a clearinghouse of Chinese manufacturers, wholesalers, suppliers, you know, whatever label you put on them. You know, there's a lot of kind of middlemen in there and there's a lot of other folks, too, that are looking to give you some sort of a quote. So you can start there and start digging. It is Amazon on steroids with kind of a lot less in the way of just uh, regulations about how things are set up and everything. I mean, you can find anything and everything on there and there really are no rules. But you, you know, the way I've done it is I submit what's called a buying request, which means I will submit a buying request that says I want to buy a thousand blue widgets of this exact specification and I, I will kind of list out five to 10 different specifications that I might have for the particular widget. And, you know, I just wait for responses to roll in and, you know, for depending on kind of the popularity or uh, the commonality of the, the widget, you know, I might get anywhere from five to 50 responses for any particular product. And then I just kind of start to filter through, you know, and I'm pretty liberal about the responses I delete because, you know, if I ask 10 questions and I get a, yes, we can produce this for you with no other response than that, then I know that that's probably not somebody I, you know, I want to deal with. Or if I feel that there is an initial language barrier that's going to be mildly insurmountable or just more trouble than I want to deal with, then that might be something that I avoid too. But you know, you so you start a dialogue with uh, suppliers and you quickly find the ones that you like and that are easy to do business with. And, you know, I start adding communications onto a spreadsheet and I start to kind of get a much better feel for who can supply what, what the price is going to be, who's trying to, you know, take me for a ride and who's actually legitimate. And, you know, also what I'll often do is I might be looking for a blue widget, but I say, hey, so you can make these fan fancy blue widgets. Can you send me a product catalog of all your blue widgets? And inevitably, I will end up finding something in their catalog that I like better than what I had originally asked for. So that's kind of one of the little secret tricks that I've used to identify things that Maybe, you know, they aren't currently available on Amazon, but that niche is popular. So that's a good way to bring new products to market. And, you know, also when you start looking through their catalogs, you can say, okay, well, you know, I like element A of this product and I like element B of this product. 
can we put these two together and do something a little bit different, something customized? Um, and oftentimes to do that kind of thing, you might have a higher minimum order quantity or they might say, no, we can't do that. You know, this is the only thing we sell. But that's, you know, that is how I've managed to kind of differentiate some of my products a little bit uh, so that I'm not selling the exact same thing as a dozen other people on Amazon. That makes sense. So when you're you know, when you're going through this process, picking your product, getting it sourced, do you have any you know general? I should always meet these criteria for every product. Like I know the you know I, I hear about you know shipping size and costs and margins. And obviously, you don't want to ship people big boxes of bricks because that's very expensive. What type of criteria makes for a good FBA product? Okay, so the way that I have my research set up is I am, I should have opened it already, but I'm going to open my spreadsheet while we're talking so that I can actually not just recite this from memory, but give mm -hmm. you some real data here. It's great to hear you that you're using spreadsheets. A lot of businesses, a lot of people just go with their gut um, and spreadsheets yeah. and data. You know, that's really, I, I found the key to, to a lot of success. Like I've, like we've talked about in the mastermind group, I did an, a 20, 80, 20 analysis looking at my, you know, my revenue and where I was spending my time found a very clear, you know, here's where I should be spending my time answer that my gut didn't tell me. So, yeah. so knowing that how much data and spreadsheeting you use, even for the sourcing process, every step of the way, it's, um, you know, it's, it sounds like it's a, an essential part of your success. Yeah. Okay. So, I'm looking at my spreadsheet here. And so the way it works, you know, I already talked a bit about kind of developing a score for each product. My initial analysis or, okay, so I give each product a score that takes me maybe 10 minutes. And so I have a total of 26 criteria. So the top that any product can score is 26. Okay. So then I move over to what I call the kind of uh, the elimination strikes. You know, something can do really well, but if it, you know, if it doesn't meet these three base requirements, then I just move on. So that would be um, if it scores below 15 out of 26, if more than two search results on the first search results page have more than a thousand reviews, I stay away from it. And if the estimated margin is below 33%, then I stay away from it. But if anything, you know, meets those and moves on, then it's, to me, it's kind of worth further examination. Now, one little side note on there. So I say the estimated margin is below 33%. That's one of these things that involves some back of the napkin math. So what I'll do is I'll jump on Alibaba. I will kind of look through uh, a search results page for Blue Widget X, and I'll say, okay, I think I can get that for 10 bucks a piece. If I can sell this for uh, $40 on Amazon, then that would be a 75% margin in that. But I have to factor in Amazon fees, so it is going to go down from there. But that is one of the strikes that, I will look at and I will say, okay, my initial research said that it's going to return a 24% margin. Okay. But it, you know, it scored a 24 out of 26. Like this is a really great product. Is it possible 
that I could get it for cheaper than I think I could. Okay. And if that's the case, then I might start going down the road of negotiations with a supplier. And if I can overturn that strike, then it might be something that I would move forward with. Interesting. So, so you really, you know, it sounds like you're doing quite a bit of work to, you know, not only find the right product that'll sell the right one to source and ship. It's a lot of, a lot of pieces to that puzzle. Yeah, it is. But I mean, you know, it's, it's, it, you know, it's simple, but it's not easy. It's one of these things that, I mean, I, you know, I'm convinced anybody can do it. If I can do it and make it work, then I don't see why anybody else couldn't. I think that what I've seen a lot of people do is, you know, they'll start and they'll get into this and they will automatically look at something that's just selling really well, but they'll fail to notice that there's 30 pages of very identical products. And, you know, it, you know, it's hard to compete with that. So, you know, it's kind of like, in, you know, in real estate, they say that you make your money when you buy the house, not when you sell the house. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I feel very similar about this, that if you put in, you know, six to eight weeks of product research, you will inevitably eliminate your first gut reactions that you thought were going to be good ideas. And in doing so, Later on, I, I mean, the first like dozen products that I looked at, that I went, Oh my gosh, I can make a million dollars a month <laughs> selling water bottles. You know, if I had tried to do that, you know, it wouldn't have worked. And I've since looked at that and gone, Oh my gosh, man. You know, so many times I've, I've kind of looked back at these products that I thought were a good idea and gone, Yeah, I'm glad I didn't waste my money on that. So, <laughs> yeah, so. You know, my, yeah, so you, uh, that's, that's all in great information. I, mean, I think we can always, you know, look back and reflect on things we've done and say, Oh, I would have done this way differently. Um, and, and this is very important to put in those steps because you're putting your money on the line here. It's not just like a $7 domain name. This is, this is a real product and a real a factory, a real investment. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. I mean, this is, this, you know, this is industry and retail and investment all in, you know, all wrapped into, all wrapped into one. Right. So, so you, let's say you've, we'll kind of go back to that timeline. You've, you've sourced, you've figured out your product. You decided what it is. You've gone through that process of sourcing, got it down to the right factory, found the one you want to go with. What is it like, you know, doing an international purchase order essentially with a factory in China where you've never been? And then what's it like getting the product and and getting it to Amazon? terrifying right <laughs> you're no, like I, i'm just gonna throw my money i'm gonna throw my bills over the yeah, ocean I mean, and hope they get um, there. <laughs> you know so 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 one of the kind of uh negotiation points when you order a product is what are your terms right and different businesses have different terms and the longer you deal with a factory the more flexible these terms become one of the terms that i like to use is like, i want to pay on paypal and I want to pay 30% up front f- to kind of start production as a deposit. And then when the run is complete and they have assured me that this is on the way, they've basically submitted pictures and um, some shipping details, then I will submit the additional 70% of payment. And I've, I've done this over PayPal because... 
PayPal has a pretty uh, user-friendly system if you decide that you want to dispute a charge. I always also link my PayPal to a credit card so that I have this kind of added layer of protection. You know, if I need to, to, to dispute a charge on PayPal or on my credit card, I can do that. Um, there, you know, Alibaba also offers some financial solutions in, in the form of, uh, Alipay. I've, what, well, well, I forget what it's called. I mean, they pretty much do everything that Amazon does. They just do it from China. <laughs> yeah. Well, 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 so, so they actually offer an escrow service as well. And if you pay through Alibaba, you also have the ability to file a claim through Alibaba and, you know, there's a lot of different ways to finance the deal to move the money. But I mean, at the end of the day, it's, you know, it's a digital transaction. It was quite a bit easier and just, you know, it wasn't quite all the bells and whistles that I expected to, you know, it to be when, you know, the first time I did it now, you know, now it's pretty routine. Have you ever gotten burned or, or had any issues or has everything always worked out right? You know, knock on wood, I haven't had anything serious happen. I've had some shipments kind of take a lot longer than I expected. At this point, I still airship everything. Um, I have done some sea shipping for the products that we did not end up pursuing. And that, you know, that's, you know, that's kind of a whole nother ball of wax. But the air shipments are pretty reliable. You know, you can watch your tracking the whole time and you can see when it lands and where it's going and when it's out for delivery. So that's, you know, that's, that's not too bad. But my kind of step by step for shipping is it, I still get the ship to my house. Uh, a lot of people will send it directly to Amazon. I like to receive everything and I like to do a quality control inspection. I like to take some of my inventory out so that I can hang on to it. And if I sell it on my website or on eBay or somewhere else, then, you know, I can also fulfill these myself. And, uh, I'm also less likely to be hit with long-term storage fees if I have things that sit in Amazon for more than a couple months. So, you know, I've got the space to do it. Some people don't. I don't mind doing the work and putting together shipments every, you know, once or twice a week. So that's how I do it. Once you have it in your possession, putting a shipment together through Amazon is pretty simple. You just go into your back end, you know, you create a shipment. Slap some labels on boxes. They tell you where to send it. You, you're able to take advantage of super low UPS shipping rates through Amazon and off it goes. That sounds great. Yeah. So, so you send everything into Amazon. It, it all meets your specifications. You've, you've you know, followed their rules for, for prime shipping and FBA. What happens next? You, you sit there and, and hope, or uh, is there a little bit more strategy to getting people to actually buy your products? Um, so, you know, there is and there isn't. You, so what, what people have done in the past to kind of spike sales and get things going is they've done giveaways, which, you know, can involve giving two or 300 units away at 99 cents. Um, Amazon frowns on that now and they are pretty good at kind of isolating these events and making sure that you're not giving away too much product in exchange for reviews. So people are still kind of figuring out good product launch strategies. People still do giveaways, 
but they just do not incentivize reviews in the same way through their giveaways. And, but you know, a typical launch strategy would be get your product up. If you have been developing a list over the past year or a couple of years, you can push it out to your list. You can offer discounts through Amazon and, you know, the most effective means of advertising and getting a product going on Amazon is just to use their internal pay-per-click system, which it's, you know, it's super easy to use. If you've ever used Facebook ads or Google ads or anything like that, it is so much more simple than any of those that, you know, I mean, you can learn it in an afternoon and then it may take you quite a long time to master it. But in the beginning, it's, you know, it's easy to start and it's very effective. You can basically pay your way into the uh, top of the search results. And in the beginning, you might lose a little bit of money on that. But if it starts your sales and starts to get some reviews in and starts to get your product moving, that might be a loss that you're willing to take in the beginning. So, you know, that's kind of what I focus on now. Uh, I think that, you know, one of the things moving, you know, moving forward, one of the things I want to do is just start to get more sophisticated with with my advertising to kind of fine tune my my Amazon advertising campaigns and to start doing more advertising off of Amazon to drive traffic to either Amazon you know my Amazon listings or to listings on my own website. Great. So what's next for you? You've got these products running, you have eight products, you're selling them all on Amazon? Are you trying to expand out of Amazon? Are you trying to expand and I just keep adding new products? Are you trying to do anything else totally different? What's the what's the big thing that's exciting, Nate, right now? You know, so, I mean, interesting question. And, I'm, you know, I'm going to kind of approach it a little bit differently. You know, so I have been employed since I was 16 years old. and I'm 38 years old now. So, you know, one of the things that I've kind of struggled with over the last couple months, you know, I just went through the Amazon Christmas season, fourth quarter, as it's called, and it was fantastic. You know, I made more money than I've ever made. And it was, you know, it was a real eye opener. But at the same time, here it is, February, and sales are not nearly what they were in December. And, you know, this is something that I was prepared for, but it's also been something I've been kind of very trepidatious about. So, Right now, I'm kind Good of vocabulary in vocabulary word, trepidatious. High school yeah. kids learn that for your SAT. <laughs> I try. I try. But, you know, so what I'm trying to wrap my, my mind around now is making the transition from thinking like an employee to thinking like an entrepreneur, where instead of, you know, okay, so sales have slowed down. Do I need to look for a job or do I you know, how do I go about increasing my revenue? So that switch is more challenging for somebody that has been in an employment situation for a long time. And, you know, what I'm finding now is that I need to focus on launching more products. I need to focus on uh, developing my skills as an advertiser because, you know, right now I'm scratching the surface. I think that what I've done is I've proved that one specific niche works. I've proved it to myself repeatedly and I'm in a position where I can capitalize on this and I can continue to grow this. 
or somebody else will come along and outcompete me and do the same thing. But yeah, so I, you know, I want to start looking at other advertising opportunities. I want to start expanding into different channels. I mean, Walmart just acquired Jet and is now making it easier for third party sellers to sell their products through Walmart the same way that they're selling them through Amazon. eBay is making some large changes to the kind of way that their shopping experience works. And, you know, Amazon's taken a lot of their market share over the last couple of years. So they're, you know, they're going to be responding to that. And, you know, I want to kind of do my best to stay ahead of some of these trends and be able to capitalize on them and, you know, add that to my, you know, add that to my selling e-commerce portfolio. You know, I have some other stuff that I'm working on. I'm, you know, I'm an artist. I've, I've drawn a lot of pictures over the years and I've kind of been slow to get them on the internet. And, but I've recently started trying to kind of sell some of those. And I, you know, I've started using that website as kind of an experimentation platform for, uh, some Facebook and Instagram ads. And, you know, it's fun to just see where that goes. It's one of these things that I, you know, I like doing the art. I would do it anyway. And it's, you know, it's fun to play with. And hey, if I make some money with it, fantastic. But yeah, I mean, as, you know, as an entrepreneur, I think that, you know, I'm always, I'm always having to talk myself out of going after the next shiny object. Yeah. I, I, shiny object syndrome is my, uh, is my entrepreneurial kryptonite. I, I always get the, the next idea when I haven't, <laughs> I haven't finished the one I'm on now and I'm like, all right, I'm already ready for the next thing. <laughs> so, yeah. um, but, you know, thank you so much, Nate, for taking the time and talking to us today and, and connecting and sharing your story and, and this wealth of knowledge on FBA. So if anyone wants to connect with you and learn more about you and what you're doing, where should they go online? So I would send them to my art website, which is soulconceptions.com. And I will send you a link to that because I know it's a bit challenging to spell. Yeah, I'll drop that in the uh, in the show notes, everyone. So if you just go to personalprofitability.com, you'll uh, you'll be able to find this episode and, and find a link right to Nate and uh, and get all that awesome info as, as you go. Cool. So thank you so much, Nate. Thanks, everyone, for listening and being a part of it. As always, if you enjoyed this episode, please do take a minute and share it with a friend. That's the only advertising we have for the Personal Profitability Podcast. It means the world to me, even if we have just one more listener we can help. And always, if uh, if you enjoyed it, you know, hop on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you listen to your podcast, drop a rating. It would uh, It would mean the world to me. So thank you, Nate. Thank you, everyone, for being a part of it. Thanks for sticking with us till the end. And until next time, stay profitable. Thanks for listening to the Personal Profitability Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a rating on iTunes or share it with a friend.